0: Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, guys, I'm Amanda. And I'm Jen. And you're listening to Fathomless. hard to do our intro without sounding like
1: oh my god it's i'm Jen and i'm amanda and, and this is the girls room, room. yeah does that's, anyone know what that's from if you don't you gotta you're just i don't know you're, you're too the, young to be listening to true your crime you're not a millennial <laughs> if you don't know what
0: that's from
1: but uh, the girls room. yeah we always like we'll record it like re-record it a couple times because
0: we're like no that's too peppy we're about to talk and about I'm murder <laughs> and then i try to like tone it down then i'm just like and no, i'm jen yeah and i'm just like, no one like, oh, between there's no <laughs> happy medium i don't there's know no what in to between. do <sighs> uh,
1: we, hope so, we guys are having a fabulous day yeah we
0: just uh had some breakfast and I made some homemade lattes, and uh, I asked Amanda if she wanted a bagel for breakfast, and Oh she God. was like, yeah, that's fine. So, I, I make her a bagel. I put some cream cheese on it. I, I put it next to her, and she looks at it. She's like, cream cheese.
1: I, like, <laughs> shouted it like an old man. I don't know why. <laughs> I was like, cream cheese. And she goes, oh, shit. You don't like cream cheese. That's right, because I'm, you know, the one person on the planet who thinks bagels with cream cheese are gross. Andrew doesn't like it either.
0: But, um butter all I, the way butter I made, and jam. I made her a new breakfast I made her some scrambled eggs and some toast with some apple butter and you're an angel a nice
1: latte with some almond milk the bagel did not go to waste though it was eaten we didn't just throw it out
0: no 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 I, I wrapped it up and I put it in the fridge I'll eat it another time
1: We don't waste food here no None don't worry
0: that. um so yeah Bennington Triangle spooky stuff
1: all those appearances are crazy still thinking about that dude who just disappeared on the bus yeah it's like in thin air but how
0: come it was only like that five-year span like i feel like there should be so many more i don't know maybe people got the hint we're like okay i'm not going in this forest yeah i don't know it's a weird
1: it's a wicked weird situation yeah
0: so um amanda is uh gonna be taking over for this yeah. episode. Today. Uh it's gonna
1: get real dark today, guys. Real dark. I'm just gonna start it off right away. We are gonna be talking about a mass shooting. So it's it's gonna be really uncomfortable. There's a lot of deaths. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. Uh but I haven't done anything like this before yet. So I wanted to kinda change it up a little bit. And this is actually the largest mass shooting that has ever occurred in the state of Massachusetts to this day.
0: Yeah I don't know anything about this. So I it's all new to me. Yeah,
1: I actually didn't know much about this either until I saw it on, I was telling you earlier, the show Most Evil, which yep. is a show I used to watch back when I was like a teenager. God knows why. Um, <laughs> because you were- it's about serial killers. <laughs> Exactly. We, there's
0: a lot of questionable things. I think I went over Amanda's house when we were like
1: 15 and she put on
0: Requiem for a Dream. Yep. And I was yeah. like, what
1: the fuck I was, is this? It was an odd child. I remember even as a kid going into like Blockbuster and I would walk straight to the horror section, find the scariest looking cover photo that I could find. And be like, Dad, can I get this?
0: And he's always like, yeah, sure, like, whatever. Yeah,
1: usually nine times out of ten. He was like, sure, why not? Because he actually wanted to watch it, too. And it was, you know, not Mary-Kate and Ashley's fucking billboard dad, which is what we and <laughs> my, my <laughs> sisters always wanted to um, get. I'm a sucker for those old Mary-Kate and Ashley oh, movies. The I In, wish
0: I wish they were on, like, Netflix. New York Minute. That's a good one, All too. of them. All um, of them. I, I can't remember. It Takes exact. Two. Yep, It Takes Two. That one's actually on... I can't remember. Double, I know double I Double, wa-
1: Toil and Trouble. Yep, yep. Bomb ass movie. Yeah. Cinema masterpiece. Yep. yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I loved those movies so much growing up. But, you know, we're
1: not going to be talking about anything as fun as Mary-Kate and Ashley today. <laughs> no, we are going to be talking about the Edgewater Technology shooting. Okay, where so, is this out of again? We are going to start by talking. I'm just going to take you right into it. Okay. So, it's December 26, 2000. We are at the Wakefield, Massachusetts office of Edgewater Technology. Okay. It's about eleven ten 10 in the morning and software tester Michael McDermott is sitting at his desk, he hangs up the phone. He's had a phone call very quick, hangs it up. He stands up from his desk, grabs a duffel bag from underneath his desk, takes out a AK-47. Oh my God. A 12 gauge Winchester shotgun. Stop it. And a 32 caliber pistol. <laughs> He walks over to the receptionist desk, and when he's asked if he needs anything, he says, actually, I need to talk to somebody in human resources, lifts his rifle, and begins firing into the office. Oh, my God. He fired off 37 rounds of ammunition, killing seven people and injuring countless others. When the SWAT team arrived at the scene minutes later, the shooting actually started at 1110. Police were dispatched by 1115. Michael McDermott was sitting calmly by himself. When he looked up at the SWAT team and they demanded that he put his hands in the air, he simply said, I do not speak German. What? Yep, he said, I do not speak German. That makes no sense. So, now we're gonna go to a little bit back in the past. Okay. Okay. Michael Morgan McDermott was born in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Stop, oh my god, at Jordan Hospital. On Ah! September 4th,
0: 1958.
1: Oh, my God. I was born
0: in Plymouth, Massachusetts, everybody.
1: (laughs) The son of um, two school teachers, Michael, grew up in the area of Marshfield. Oh, my God. Oh, my
0: God. I think we were going to lose your (laughs) shit. I lived in Marshfield for two years. Stop. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this, this one I got it way close to this, home. Is, this is really fucking close to home. I wonder where in Marshfield
1: he lived. Watch, it's probably where I did. I didn't find the exact street, but uh. he did graduate from Marshfield High School. So, uh, he was the son of two school teachers, and he grew up in Marshfield and lived a really normal life. Like most children, he had an extremely vivid imagination. He enjoyed fantasy books and games, kind of further developing his own fantasy world in his mind. And as he grew older, this fantasy world intensified. As a teenager, he would often retreat into this fantasy world as opposed to spending time with his peers. Okay. McDermott graduated from Marshfield High School in 1976. Shortly after, he enlisted in the U.S. Navy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jen, Jen's husband is a former Navy man. Yeah. And he served as an electrician's mate petty officer second class. Okay. So he spent most of his time on the USS Narwhal while serving and eventually, you know, came back to the States and just started working a normal life. And from 1982 to 1988, McDermott worked for the main Yankee nuclear power plant. He then moved to Weymouth, Massachusetts and began to work in a research and development for Duracell, the battery company. So he did a lot with like software engineering, technology, like very, very intelligent man, Yeah, very intelligent. In 1992, McDermott married Monica Sheenan and they divorced several years later. It was around this time that McDermott fell into a pretty deep depression. He began to gain significant weight, became extremely reclusive and really only ever spent time at work or home. The only time he ever really seemed like he was truly happy was when he was with his nieces and nephews who called him Uncle Mucko. Uncle Mucko. Mucko. Yeah. Okay. Which, like, yucko, considering what yeah. <laughs> like this guy's done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not for the kids. Mucko the poor yucko. Kids. But it was around this time that he even started kind of behaving oddly at his work and around his coworkers. Uh, at one point, at one of his jobs, he even brought in a handwritten will and had all of his coworkers sign it as witnesses. Okay. Which is just kind of odd, weird. odd yeah. behavior hey you
0: uh, my will yeah. um i don't exactly
1: think... just just really strange so. so in early 2000 after duracell announced that it would soon move to bethel connecticut mcdermott resigned and later joined with edgewater technology in that same year okay so in october of 2000 mcdermott actually moved out of his south weymouth apartment after failing to pay his rent he left the apartment in a derelict state and was actually owed the landlord uh, $1,700. Oh, okay, Jesus. Yeah, he then moved to a, an apartment in Haverhill, Mass, which is a little bit closer to Wakefield, so that makes sense. And in addition to owing his previous landlord $1,700, he actually owed the IRS $5,000 in back taxes as well. Jesus. So he was he was not doing very good. He's not very Marco good with was his not money. doing very good. No, no, not very good with his money. And actually a few weeks prior to the massacre, uh, McDermott had been notified that the IRS was going to be docking his paychecks from Edgewater Technology after the holidays. Oh, so he wasn't going to be making anything. Yeah, he really wasn't going to be making much. They were going to just start garnishing his paychecks to cover those back taxes. And it was kind of around this time when the company notified him that he became extremely irate. And actually a week prior to the shooting, he had a really angry outburst in the finance department when they had a big meeting to kind of announce to him that they were going to be garnishing his wages with like HR and everybody. Oh, okay. So this is his problem with HR. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're, there's, there's a theme here. So on December 24th of 2000, it was late in the evening on Christmas Eve when in a quiet neighborhood of uh, Haverhill mass was, everyone was awoken to the sound of about five to seven gunshots coming from the middle of the street. Police were notified and they came out and they were also told by the people in the area that they had witnessed a small sedan leaving the scene that had a vanity plate that said Mucko. Mucko Yucko. Yeah. So Haverhill PD found some discarded shotgun casings in the road and they decided that that was enough to kind of search those vanity plates, which came back with Michael McDermott's name and his Haverhill address, which was just a few streets over. So police went by several times on Christmas Day but they never saw his car parked there and they never got an answer anytime they went to the door. That was December 25th, Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. They heard the shooting in the street the night before, tried to get in touch with him Christmas Day. He wasn't at his house at all apparently, or just wasn't answering and his car wasn't there. So we're gonna go back to December 26th, 2000. Obviously this is the day after Christmas. Edgewater technology was just functioning like it was any other normal day. Michael had arrived, you know, early in the morning in good spirits. Around ten thirty in the morning, he was actually in the kitchen having conversations with coworkers. seemed really jovial and just kind of happy, like just because he like knew what was about to go down. Yeah. Uh, So he was sitting at his desk when he received a call around eleven oh seven in the morning. This call came from a Chrysler financial supervisor that was notifying McDermott that his nineteen ninety four Plymouth Acclaim was going with a that had a blue book value of about fifty three hundred dollars, was going to be repossessed for non-payment. Okay. When the call ended, Michael hung up the phone, grabbed his duffel bag that was under his desk that he had brought to work with him that day. And he took out the AK 47, the 12 gauge shotgun and the 32 caliber pistol, which had a full magazine in it, which he put into his pocket. So he had, the, I was going to ask that. I was
0: like, when did he bring these guns into work? Did he just that have day. them there? He, so so he planned yeah, it. Yeah, he
1: came in that morning. And that was just like bag. the next thing that just like set him off, I guess. At 11.10 in the morning, Michael stood up from his desk, went over to the receptionist, said that he needed to speak to someone in human resources, and began firing his weapon. And it, it gets incredibly sad. Uh, most people were hiding under their desks, hiding in cabinets, hiding in closets. Some people managed to escape. They went to the church, St. Joseph's, across the street to hide. Uh, but unfortunately, seven people did lose their lives, and they did not lose their lives very quickly. Uh, there is a full court document that I'll link in our show notes. And in that, it actually has some of the last words of some of the victims. Stop. I wasn't going to go through all of them because it's really, really hard to read. But if you want to read it yourself, it will be in the show notes. Okay. Um, but it is, it, it's very just very upsetting. It's very upsetting. Uh, these people did not deserve this at all. They did nothing to him. Absolutely nothing to him. So like I said, he did end up slaying seven of his coworkers and he did fire 37 rounds of ammunition. So the people that lost their lives during this was, uh, Jennifer Bragg, uh, Copa Bianco. She was 29 years old and worked in the marketing department. Janice Haggerty, 46 years old. She was the office manager. Louis A. Javel, who's a director of consulting, he was 58 years old. Rose Manafredi, 48, she was part of the payroll department. Paul Marceau, 36, he was a development technician. Cheryl Troy, 50 years old, she was the director of human resources. And Craig Woods, who is 29 years old, who's also part of human resources. Like I said, in a panic, people started running, hiding under desks. Um, In the court documents, there are uh, accounts from witnesses who survived the shooting, who talk about how they spent that entire time, you know, hiding in their desk or hiding in a closet, hiding in the bathrooms, not knowing what was going to happen or if they were going to be next. It's, that is it's terrifying. Literally fucking terrifying. So the shooting, like I said earlier, didn't really last very long. Uh, the shooting started at around 1110 in the morning. By 1115, uh, Wakefield police had been notified that there was a active shooter and they had already been dispatched to the scene. So the SWAT team arrived, and Michael was actually sitting inside of the building calmly by himself with a duffel bag full of ammunition and full magazines for all of his weapons right there. When police told him to you know, put his hands up and tried to apprehend him, he just kept saying, I do not speak German. So I'm sure you're wondering, what the hell does that mean? Yeah, what the fuck does that mean? So once in custody, Michael told authorities that he was actually not a part of our world. He was living in purgatory because he had been born without a soul. What and the fuck? Yes. So Michael McDermott claimed that he had actually spoken with God and that God told him in order to gain a soul, he needed to murder Hitler and six Nazi, office, Nazi officers who were hiding in his work. Stop. So he believed that it was not, you know, 2000. He believed that it was, you know, the 19 like 1940s in Berlin didn't think he was in Massachusetts, he thought he was in Berlin. What the fuck? This is what he claimed to police. So immediately McDermott's defense team was trying to claim that he was not guilty by reason of insanity. They also documented that he did have a history of schizophrenia and he had actually had two previous attempts to take his own life prior to this incident. So he had some mental so health he had issues. some mental health issues, but that's that's not all that was going on there. So His attorneys, like I said, originally wanted to go for an insanity plea. However, when police searched his apartment, not only did they find uh, bomb-making materials, but they also searched his computer and found that uh, weeks and days leading up to the shooting, Michael McDermott had been researching how to appear criminally insane. Oh, okay. On search engines like Google. All right. So, yeah. Uh, Which the jury, obviously, that gave them enough reasonable doubt to believe that he was fully aware of what he was doing, Yeah. Um. police also found a uh, 460 caliber rifle in his locker at the office after the shooting. So not only did he have the three weapons that he had, which he didn't even use the pistol, it still had a full magazine and was in his pocket when police apprehended him. But he also had a rifle hidden in his locker that day. So he just brought all these guns yeah. to work oh and my with the bomb making materials at home, they believe that he intended to do more damage than what he had done there if he had not been caught.
0: Yeah.
1: So it, like I said, it didn't help that the people that were targeted, I mean, we went through all of their names and their positions in the office. It was all people directed with financing, payroll, and human resources, which he believed were the people who were directly responsible for garnishing his wages. Unfortunately, Businesses don't really have a say if the IRS says they're going to garnish somebody's wages. It, it yeah, kind of is what it is. It's he the federal took it government. out the
0: wrong way on the wrong people because exactly, he so couldn't fucking pay his taxes. Yep, pretty like, much that's on you,
1: dude. And Michael Morgan McDermott was found guilty of seven counts of first degree murder. He was sentenced to life without parole, and is actually currently serving his sentence in the Bridgewater State Hospital. Oh, really? Yeah. They
0: sent him to Bridgewater. Yeah. I thought he, I thought that was mainly for people that like, did so
1: I saw, have... I saw some articles that said maximum security prison. So my guess is he probably was in Walpole or something else. I was going to guess, I was going to guess, but, like, why wouldn't they send him to Walpole? Isn't that like the main, like, that is one of the hot, tough... like, it's like media max security. But it said as of 2022, he was in the state hospital. So he very well could have been moved at some point during the time. I mean, this happened in 2000. He's been there for 23 years now. Yeah. So. Or been incarcerated for 23 years you know how many times have you driven by this guy yeah <laughs> lots lots and lots of times so the saint Joseph's cemetery church well saint Joseph's cemetery jesus christ the saint joseph's church that was across the street that people sought refuge in that day actually held a one-hour memorial and prayer service the week after the shooting and over a thousand people attended what, was, what happened to the technology center? So the technology center is still operating to this day. It has been purchased by another company, runs under another name. Uh, they stayed under the name Edgewater Technology until 2019 when they were purchased by another company. The CEO was actually stated saying that she uh, did not want the tragedy to redefine them. They wanted to be able to just like grow and just kind of keep going. They were a... You know they had built the company up from the ground they chose that name they didn't want to you know they felt like it was just another way of michael taking something else from them if they yeah true made that that's change. a good way to think
0: about it imagine like being an employee that did survive and like yeah have, i wouldn't be able to go back yeah so i probably wouldn't be able to
1: there was a cherry blossom tree planted outside of the edgewater technology office in honor of those who lost their lives that day and it's still there to this day oh which is just it's just so sweet, but also so sad. And I do, I always try to like, you know, add a little bit about the victims in there and stuff too, but I wanted to say something. So Cheryl Troy, who was 50 years old, was the director of HR. She enjoyed scuba diving, spending time at the beach, spending time with her sister. She was single and had three cats, but many nieces and nephews. Cat lady. I know, right? For poor cats. And her nickname was Firecracker Baby because she was born on the 4th of July, Aww. which I just thought was so sweet. And there also was uh, the family of Parma- Paul Marceau said that he was the father of two daughters and a devoted family man who enjoyed cycling and photography. He was gentle and kind and a beautiful person who was always willing, willing to extend a hand to family, friends, and coworkers. and the world lost a genuine and unselfish spirit. that's a direct quote from his family, which is just, just heartbreaking. Uh, Louis Javel was an avid sportsman who loved guns. And according to coworkers like Lawrence Fortin, he always talked about uh, Javel's, you know, hunting trips and stuff like that. He would go to Canada. He normally worked in the Manchester office, but was visiting the Wakefield office that Tuesday because his mother lived in Middletown, Rhode Island she said that the death had been extremely hard on her as well so he wasn't even supposed to be in that office oh my god wrong place wrong time which is just so so heartbreaking it just it's just terrible it really is terrible um i also did want to mention that uh Michael McDermott did not have a license to carry in the state of Massachusetts or any other state in the United States. You said he had a history of schizophrenia. He had a history, yep. He did. Yeah, he, had he had a wouldn't sister. even be allowed to have a gun in Massachusetts, right? So, so, yep, he would not be allowed. He also had, when police searched his apartment, they had, um, he had several other weapons. And like I said, he also had bomb-making materials too. Um, this was prior to 9-11, so things, were a little bit more laxed back then. A few of the weapons that he had were, like, military-grade, so they believed that he had, uh, like, somehow obtained them either from old military buddies or just people that he had met through that kind of, you know, that kind of route. Oh, yeah, there's always um, a way to... They were able to trace some of the weapons, but a few of them were actually apparently so old that they didn't have a way to properly trace them. So, very, very odd. It did actually help kind of uh, stiffen up the gun laws in the state yeah. of Massachusetts after this happened. Mm-hmm. We already had pretty strict gun laws. They have always kind of been like that here, well, down in Massachusetts. Oh yeah, they're, but, um, they're way different like, in like New Hampshire. Yeah, like, what, like opposite, very different. Like complete opposite. Um, but police were still very confused as to how somebody with his history could obtain yeah. so many weapons and still fly so low under the radar. So it definitely made them look into it a lot further and make a lot of changes to their legislature. And unfortunately, that is that is pretty much it on yeah. the Edgewater technology shooting. It's a short one, but it I felt like it needed to be said and. You know, those seven people that lost their lives, you know, this is something that I didn't even really hear much about. But I
0: feel like, like, when you said the part about, the, like, I don't speak German, I feel like I was like, I think I remember. Yeah. That, a lot like, of people detail, hear
1: about the, but guy I didn't think he's in purgatory. I didn't know
0: anything else. Yeah. Which oh is, oh my God, that's insane. Very, very good. It's crazy like you story. never know what your coworker is capable of. You don't. That's why I'm glad I work from home. Yeah. So That's glad I work from home. <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh, my God. That is crazy. So he just kind of sat after he was done. He just, like, sat down and yeah. let the police get him. Yeah. He didn't have any, like, intention to kill anyone else so with all those guns. He had. They do
1: believe they did find lists of names at his house. And there was one person that wasn't um at the office at the time. And that was the, like, the CEO. So he, okay, so this is all premeditated. It was, it was prepared. Um, Jesus. And he also, the there were things that he said to the people that he shot that it just, just the way he was about it. Yeah. Like the first two people that he killed, he afterwards turned to everyone else in the office and was like,
0: it's okay. Re- oh my yeah. God. That would have fucking scared me more than anything. Yeah. Just like that reaction. Just like. No big deal. This is no big deal. I would be, like, uh, terrified. Like, terrified. Yeah. Like, no, was, this is not okay. Yeah. It was
1: It was really...
0: Oh, my God. Really, really scary. Sick. I mean, I don't know, like, because you said he had, like, the schizophrenia, but, like, he, he wasn't, like... He didn't get away with this,
1: like, on Insanity. He did play, not. So, but, like,
0: he was insane
1: in yeah. a way. So I think it's one of those things where it's the difference between being criminally insane and clinically insane, which is a very gray area. Like obviously he had mental health issues, but he definitely knew the difference between right and wrong. And he knew what he was doing was not okay. And you could tell that by, you know, the fact that he had, you know, he was he well-prepared, he had those lists of names at homes, all of the events leading up to it, the fact that he was searching how to appear criminally insane because he knew he had those schizophrenic yeah. history to back like that background to possibly help him but to
0: also have that reaction of it's okay like yeah. he was you don't have rem- yeah. like
1: remorse for a
0: human life
1: it was not whatsoever
0: good. it seems clearly it was not good. clearly oh my god
1: it was a uh, it was a i can only imagine what those and it really only lasted like 10 minutes Yeah, which is just that's like the scariest thing about shootings too. Is it's honestly it's but in the moment it was probably like oh hours hours, yeah hours centuries fucking years like it I I can only imagine it's fucking unfathomable. Yep, Yep. I am left fathomless. Yeah, that's why we got this name, guys. (laughs) Oh,
0: okay. Well, I'm gonna need to take a breather. Yeah, after.
1: really uh you know put a big damper on your monday if you're listening to this well you're
0: putting down. a damper on my sunday <laughs> <I'm> so, <laughs> oh my I'm god sorry.
1: it's a dark it's okay. one okay but it needs to be said i feel like you know i feel like shootings don't get like obviously they get talked about enough but yeah like, people don't talk about the victims enough and then everyone just kind of turns it into a a political argument when really it should just be about the fact that fucking human beings lost their lives
0: yeah yep. It's so scary. It's, it's I always what it is. like. I was always that kid in high school that whenever there was like a drill for like a bomb threat or something, I would always be like, th- "Like this is the perfect time when everyone's like in the hallways, like yeah. someone's gonna do something." And I was always so fucking scared. Yeah, so scared. But I'm I'm scared of everything.
1: <laughs> I mean, it <laughs> it's is. just me. It's it's terrifying. It really yeah. is, and you know. We could go on for that for hours and hours and hours, but we're also, you know, we're not that kind of podcast. And I didn't want to turn it into a, I didn't want to turn this into a political statement. I wanted to focus on the seven people who lost their lives for literally no fucking reason at all. Yep. Zero fucking reason. Because somebody couldn't pay their bills, which like same dude, we all have debt, you know, fucking cry about it into a pillow and eat some chocolate at night like the rest of
0: us. Come on. Uh, all right but, well we hope you uh yeah we stay, hope you stay spooky stay, <laughs> stay scary
1: and stay, stay
0: safe i didn't know friends. who was gonna
1: start that i can't speak english hug the closest person next to you unless they're a stranger don't do that but um you know tell everyone that you love them because you never know what's gonna happen guys all right let's try this out Try one more time <laughs> yeah, stay spooky stay scary and stay, stay safe, safe. Bye.
0: bye see ya